Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Yarek, and today we have a special guest, our mentor, Mr. Michael Ponti. Hello, Mr. Michael. Hello. How are, how are you, Derek? I am always good. <laughs> good, good, good. So, what we are going to learn from you today about? Oh, we've got an exciting topic, one of my favorite topics that I always enjoy presenting, and it's uh, called the 10 Most Common Mistakes Made by Real Estate Investors. So, uh, uh, this one's a little bit kind of uh, near and dear to my heart because it takes me back kind of to the path of when I first initially got started, uh, learning from some of the mistakes I've made, um, lessons learned, and then even more importantly is uh, also getting a chance to talk to other investors and, and students as well and learn from some of the mistakes that they've made. And, and uh, I always have a, I always enjoy presenting this because it's, these are lessons learned uh, from School of Hard Knocks and I love sharing some of these experiences with other potential investors as well uh, to help them avoid these the same common mistakes that do happen uh, on a regular basis. So I hope everybody enjoys it. So. so if I understand that, you will make our members save millions of dollars, right? <laughs> I'm, Millions. <laughs> Millions. <laughs> Millions of dollars. No, def definitely, definitely thousands for sure. Okay. Uh, let's, be, let's think big, right? So let's Absolutely. do billions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the way how we are going to do it is very, very simple. Uh, Mr. Mike will do the presentation. It's uh, educational. Uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to raise your hand. Type the question in the, uh, the questions section which is on your right side, and I will unmute you. So preferably, if you do not have a microphone, there is a way to dial in by using your telephone line. I do really encourage everybody who are thinking about asking the questions to ask that directly Mr. Mike. In unfortunate situations where you have no mic and you cannot call in by the phone, I will read that question, okay, for you. But I will charge you a lot of money for doing that. <laughs> I'm just joking, guys. I'm in very, very good mood. So the way how I'm going to start, I will switch to Mr. Mike's laptop computer. And we'll show the screen, and we will start the presentation. Perfect. So I just click on here, show my screen. I hope, can everybody see that? Yes, we can see it. You can see it? Good. So, so far, so good. We're on track here. Good. Can anybody confirm that they see the screen? Yes, Tim, thank you very much. Here is the hand. Perfect. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. So I'll just get going here, I guess, eh, Eric? Yep. Go ahead. Um, for many of you... Yeah, for, for many of you who don't necessarily know who I am, uh, my name is Mike Ponty. I'm the president and founder of a company called Prosperity Real Estate Investments. Um, our company and myself have been investing in real estate for 
you know, we're looking at a little over 10 years now, and, and most of the acquisitions we've done is in Western Canada. So I'm based in Vancouver, BC, um, and our focus really is is in the purchase of multifamily, uh, and we still do a lot of residential properties as well. Um, and our business model is really kind of looking at finding joint venture money and and building our portfolio using joint ventures and, and really making it successful for both sides. So we've been doing this for quite some time, and, and over these last 10 years, uh, we've learned just an absolute ton. And uh, some of the things that I like to do as well is we do a lot of presentations out here in the BC marketplace and with also Canada REIC. And, and here's our way of kind of giving back and to help you guys become a lot more successful as well as by learning from other investors and, and you know, if there's things I can do to help you guys become successful by just sharing some of my experiences. And, and this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to present this today. Uh, so this one, like I said before, this one is really near and dear to my heart because it does take a step back and kind of relive some of the things that I've learned over the last little while. And um, and again, it just kind of refreshes in your mind some of the things that you would never do again. So just to kind of get started, a typical investor, and I hope, I'm not too sure what the, the audience is, but if there's a lot of senior investors here or people are just getting started, uh, there's always this kind of hesitancy because the biggest concern that a lot of people have is this absolute fear. So they're going down this path, they're going down this journey, and they're taking these small baby steps and all of a sudden there's an issue and a fork on the road. And a lot of people just don't necessarily know kind of where to go. And so there's this question mark. And this is where fear absolutely kicks in. And for a lot of investors, some pe people just absolutely do nothing. So they just, fear just absolutely puts them, stops them right in their tracks. And in other cases, they may go down a specific direction and it's the wrong direction, costing them literally thousands of dollars. And to Yarek's comment, maybe even millions of dollars. And believe it or not, that could be absolutely the case. Um, you know, my experience, and, and for a lot of the people that I've talked to in the past, there have been times that people have lost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars by making costly, costly mistakes. But the real trick to this is learning from that mistake and moving forward. I always kind of like to start and end with a quote, and this one kind of really thought really made sense to me is the most valuable thing you can make is a mistake. You can't really learn anything from being perfect. Um, and that's written by Adam Marshall. And you know, if you really think about all the, some of the most successful people out there, um, you know, Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, um, Robert Kiyosaki, and just some of the anybody that's been extremely successful out there, I will guarantee you each one of them have made hundreds, if not thousands of mistakes and and I, that's hopefully kind of a lesson and an eye-opener for a lot of people that are sitting here and listening in and are really taking into account and being concerned that you know the reason why they're not investing in real estate is because they're really scared of mistakes so again the topic today the 10 most common mistakes made by real estate investors and I always kind of like to uh, reference uh, Homer Simpson best is kind of the dope moments. I tried to uh, do a little wave file on here. It wasn't working for me, so uh, I had to kind of fill in for that, that little piece. So number one, the very first one, it's really not creating a plan of attack. Um, people tend to buy a house just because they think it's a good idea. There's no reasoning behind it. There's no education behind it. They absolutely have no idea why they're doing it. They just believe it's a good idea. And this is a common, common, common theme. They have absolutely no plan. They don't know what cash flow is. They really absolutely don't know what they're doing. They just think it's a good idea, so they get in. 
And the reality is they get into this deal, they buy it, and then they start to build their plan of attack after the fact. Well, if they do that after the fact, they may have wasted fifty, dollars $100,000 on this deal that may have absolutely sucked and it not really worked really well for them. So now they've put themselves in a really awkward position. So the first thing most investors and all investors should be doing is really start with building yourself a plan. And for many of you, you hear, you know, what's your five-year plan? And I'm a very, very strong believer in, real, in building a five-year plan for yourself. So think about what you need to do and what you want um, five years from now. What does your lifestyle look like? What, what does your life look like? So really build a plan and try to create this vision of what that looks like five years from now. Are you still working in the same job that you're in today? Um, are you married with kids? Are you creating a nice passive income? You know, what type, how many properties are you having? So by understanding really what your goals and your, uh, and your objectives are first is really going to help provide you the kind of path that, you, that you're going to be leading. You know, by understanding your goals and investing objectives, then after completing that and understanding it, that is the time when you start to buy investment property. Okay? Because once you start understanding those goals, you can then determine how many properties do I need? You know, out of each of those properties, what type of cash flow am I going to need from those properties? And even more importantly, how long am I prepared to hold those properties for? Um, so really ask yourself a question. And you maybe just ask yourself right now or even write it on a piece of paper that you hopefully have in front of you. You know, what is your number? So what is the number that you need to generate cash flow to help you live that five-year plan five years down the road from now? Is it $5,000 a month of passive income? Is it $10,000 a month of passive income? I, I can't really answer that question for you. But that's the question you need to ask yourself. And kind of a nice rule of thumb that I always like to use, estimate somewhere in the area of about $100 to $150 positive cash flow per property that you will be generating. And that will kind of determine how many properties that you will need to help you get you to that specific goal. So if you find a property that is generating $25 or $50 a month cash flow, but you really are looking to be generating at a minimum of $100 cash flow, it is now also qualifying the types of deals and the types of properties you're looking at as well. Because if you're looking at $100 a month, this $25 or $50 a month property is not necessarily going to fit your criteria. And in addition, if you find a property that's going to generate two to $300 cash flow a month, well, now all of a sudden you need to buy two less properties for yourself because you're generating more cash flow from that property. So always start with a plan first. I can't really reinforce this enough. Um, it, it's kind of like going back to that to the saying, you know, if you're planning a trip down to Mexico and you're planning on driving down there, the first thing that you're going to need before you start driving is a map. Well, create a map for yourself for your life. Pretend Mexico is your five-year plan, and you need to create a map to get you down there. Okay, so start with your plan. Secondly, this is one I see all the time. They're app, uh, it's investing blindly. So junior investors buy because they think it's a good deal. Now, I underlined and bolded think, and there's a reason for that. If you say the word, I think it's a good deal, the reality is you absolutely have no idea if it's a good deal. So I really want you, I'm really pushing this on all of you. Don't ever say, I think it's a good deal. If you say, I think it's a good deal, my recommendation is back away from it. It is either a good deal or it is a bad deal. There's no such thing as, I think it's a good deal. I think it's a good deal is going to cost you money. Okay? The reality is for junior investors, when they say that, or when you hear people say, I think it's a good deal, that really is a determinant that they absolutely have no idea what they're doing when investing in real estate. Okay? 
investing in real estate must be treated like a business period. It is a business. And um, if you're going to venture on any, any, in any type of business, you need to know what your business is really about. Um, so the first thing I would do before you start buying your first property is start to invest in yourself first, period. You know, take some of that money that you've got. If it's equity that's from your home, uh, use that to help support yourself. You know, get some education. There's some great and wonderful programs out there uh, that, can help, uh, so that can help you. So get some formal training and involve yourself with a real estate club. Um, you know, even get hire yourself a mentor or a joint venture partner to help guide you. There's some great ways to kind of participate and help you learn, so you're not going to be cost. It's not going to cost you a significant amount of money um, in regards of mistakes down the road. Um, you know, being part of Canada REIC is a great way. There's a great great source of investors that are in that group that you can absolutely communicate to, talk to, and uh, and help get you trained a little bit to help you. Uh, keep focused on what you're wanting to accomplish and help you with your education. The reality is the more you learn, the more you earn, period. And you can never stop learning in this business as well. Um, so it's important to keep your education up. Things are constantly changing, especially from the world of banking. Um, and it's always extremely important to keep your thumb on the pulse. You really cannot learn enough in this business. So always get yourself formally trained. Uh, get yourself involved with a good networking group. Um, you know, some cases as well for people that are even considering joint venturing with other people, other real estate experts. You know, maybe something you would like to do with them is say, hey, listen, I'll invest with you, um, but with the understanding that you'll help teach me what you do, so on my next deal, um, I can do it on my own. I have a lot of clients do that same thing to me as well, and I absolutely have no problem with that. And, and like I said, it's always great to see them become successful. It is a small industry, and we all want to be successful together. So always take the time, educate yourself, do not invest blindly, period. Okay. The other one that I always tend to see is people like you know, doing it single-handedly. So the perception is, you know what, if I do it myself, I can make a lot more money instead of hiring people. And you know what, I made this mistake when I kind of first got started as well. I bought myself uh, a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath townhouse. It was a really simple, simple, small little deal in, in Edmonton, Alberta many years ago. And you know what, I was really kind of just looking at saving some money. So I thought I'd fly out to Edmonton and do some of the repair work and do some painting and all this kind of stuff myself before I went to rent it to a tenant. Well, I went out there, spent the whole weekend out there, did some painting, doing all this wonderful stuff but I didn't get half of the work done that I needed to do. And by the time I calculated the cost of flying out there, the amount of hours that I spent, the cost of supplies, I honestly really was no, no further ahead. And, and that was really more of an eye-opener for me, is you really do need a team to help support you, especially if you're planning on building a small little real estate empire. There's no way you'd be able to sustain that yourself. So you know, kind of follow the lead of most successful real estate investors. Look at guys like Donald Trump, Warren Buffett, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, um, all sorts of different individuals that have been extremely successful. There is no way they would be able to do that all themselves. You would never see Donald Trump, Warren Buffett painting rooms or doing any renovations of floors or any of that stuff. That is absolutely not happening. They have people to help support them and, and make that happen. Um, so to be successful, you need to build a strong and I should have underlined quality and real estate and I should also highlight and underline investment team. And the reason why I say quality and investment underlined is you really want to build a team that understands your business. So you want to find a really good real estate investor 
agent. So this agent understands the business of investment properties. So you want to find somebody that has that experience. You also want to find an accountant, a lawyer, a property inspector, uh, even a contractor that really understands the investor world. So make sure when you're trying to build this team together that these individuals have that same type of experience. Now, the one that I left out there was property manager. And this is where I find most of junior investors and investors make the biggest mistake. Your property management expenses are one of the highest um, when you look at investment properties. It always costs you somewhere in the area between 10 to 12% is kind of normal for a property, uh, property manager. Well, you know, that's, that's going to cost you standard rent of about 1000 bucks, an extra $100 a month. So a lot of investors think, well, instead of hiring a property manager, I can do that myself. That is your biggest mistake. And the reality is, if you really want to build a good, strong portfolio, if you want to own 10, 15, 20 properties from now, you will not be able to manage your property, um, especially if you're looking investing in other provinces and cities. Um, the reality is, if you want to do it in your backyard, that's fine. You'll want to invest in one property, two properties, three properties, and you want to manage that yourself. You can go ahead, but I'll guarantee you, you'll start to lose interest once you start getting phone calls at around 2 o'clock in the morning and uh, the tenants are telling you that the hot water tank's just blown. Uh, it isn't a fun job. It's not a very glamorous job. Um, and for the cost of $100, $150, or whatever the number is, if you've got yourself a really good property manager, they're absolutely worth their money. They, they deal with a lot of negative stuff out there and uh, property managers are absolutely key. So my recommendation is if you really are serious about building yourself a portfolio, hire yourself a really good property manager. The one, the one thing, something somebody's told me many, many years ago, it's, it's about working on your business, not in your business. So you really want to be considered as yourself as the CEO or the president of, of your own real estate investment company, regardless if you only own one, one property. That one property is a business. And if that's yours, you are the president of that company. So you, again, you don't want to see, you want to be overseeing your entire book of business. You want to oversee the renovations that are being done, but you don't necessarily want to be working in the renovations. Or you want to oversee um, the tenants in regards to how the property manager is taking care of them. So think about that when you're looking at doing your, your real estate, when you're looking at getting involved in this real estate investment business, is making sure that you build a good established team and, and really Think of yourself as the president of your own business, and hopefully that will help kind of provide you with some guidance. So don't try to deal with single handles of yourself. Letting your emotions make your investments decisions. In real estate, fear is absolutely your biggest enemy, period. And um, you need to overcome this to be successful. Um, and I'd like to share kind of a little quick story. When I first got started as well, when I, when I went to buy my uh, second, no, my very first property. It's my very first property. I didn't buy this one, uh, but my very first property, and again, it was in Edmonton, Alberta. And, uh, you know, it was, again, a simple house, three bedroom, one and a half bath townhouse. Uh, you know, to me, it seemed like a really nice unit. Uh, so we had the offer accepted, and um, I hadn't seen the property yet. All I did was see some pictures, and it, it seemed pretty nice in the pictures. And, uh, and then I flew out to go there for the property inspection, and at that day, I was supposed to also remove conditions on the property. Well, my wife and I both flew out to Edmonton. We're extremely excited to see our very, very first investment property. Um, and then we walked, on, walked through the door. And, you know, our faces and our smiles absolutely dropped. Just absolute shock. And uh, what really bothered us was, number one, we saw all these 
television cables running from one room to the next to the upstairs to each bedroom. So these all these wired, wired cables were put all over the house. So they were running it from one place to the next. And my wife and I really had a hard time overcoming that. And uh, we just thought that this property looked so much better in the pictures. And then when we saw that you know, the paint was a little bit rough, uh, the kitchen cabinets were a little bit rough, but nothing, nothing, not, no major, major damage. And then when the property inspector was completed with their inspector, sorry, was completed with his inspection, he came back to us and told us that the furnace was, was toast and that was going to cost him an extra $4,000 to get it fixed, or around $3,500, excuse me. Well, my wife and I, we, we both talked about it. We looked at these wires, the, the problem with the furnace, and, and, and we just didn't feel it was the right deal for us. And uh, the seller even came back and said, we'll, we'll pay for the furnace and put a new furnace in for you so that $3,500 cost was going to be covered off. Um, again, we, we walked away from the deal because of wires. Um, that property at that time uh, was about $87,000. And uh, today, in today's market right now, we'd be probably looking pretty close to around $215,000. And for the cost of a couple buckets of paint, um, which would cost me $100, we walked away from almost $100,000 worth of an investment, all because of cable wires. And the reason for that is we let our emotions control our destination, and that was one of the biggest mistakes that I've made probably in investing completely. And you know, the good news is I did buy another property shortly after for relatively close to the same price, but I could have owned two of them and been, been really, really happy. So. The reality is keep your decisions in check. Your decisions should always be based in the numbers. Now, if I truly put the numbers in my analysis and said, How, what's the cost of removing those cables and painting those walls? Um, you know, the cost maybe at the most was going to cost me two, three hundred bucks at the very, very most. Um, I, the deal was still going to be a really good deal. So, you know, that's the one lesson that I learned. Inspections and appraisals are there to also help you get a better price as well. So when you're going through the property inspection process and you're looking to get a better, uh, when you go through the property inspection process and your banks are looking to do an appraisal, those are kind of like your temperature checks to see how things are going with your price. Your appraisal will always determine what the true market value is of the property. If you are buying a property at a higher value than what the market is, the appraisal will normally tell you that. And then at that point, you can always renegotiate with the seller a lower price. The inspection is also the same thing. If I use the same example um, with the furnace that went, uh, the inspector says, hey, the furnace is gone. Well, you can always reduce that price or even more importantly, get the seller to actually cover, uh, put in a new furnace or hot water tank or roof or whatever, this, uh, whatever the issue is. And you're also buying a new property with a new roof, a new furnace, or a new hot water tank. You know? So the important thing is add some of these surprise expenses into your analysis and see if the numbers still work. If the numbers don't work, then that's an opportunity where you want to maybe walk away from the deal. The important thing, if the numbers work, if your market research works in regards to the area that you're investing and you've done a gut check, really that you're feeling good about it and your gut saying yes, then pull the trigger. Do not let fear hold you back. And understand, as you start working on more and more projects, fear is always going to be there. Even if, even if you've done about 100 deals, you may have this small, the fear may not be as big as when you bought your first deal. It's always going to be there a little bit. And it's controlling that fear and always going back to what do the numbers tell me. If the numbers say it's a good place to be and the research done appropriately, 
and don't be afraid to pull the trigger. Next is not calculating your numbers correctly. And, and this is so common for people that had just bought an investment property with really not a lot of uh, thought process there. Um, so the first thing to do is make sure you actually know how to calculate what cash flow, you understand what, how to calculate cash flow. A lot of people when they invest in real estate, they have no idea what cash flow means. They just say, you know what, the rent's going to cover off the uh, mortgage and uh, you know there should be some cash flow out of there. Well, there's more expenses than that and you need to be aware of that. So a lot of people just don't really understand it. So when you're looking at calculating cash flow, it's income minus all expenses, property taxes, insurance, condo fees, uh, possibly tenant insurance, um, you, uh, accruing a vacancy allowance and a maintenance allowance. We're going to talk about that stuff. And after all of that, that is what a cash flow number is. It's not rent minus mortgage. It's rent minus mortgage plus, 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 plus. Make sure you've got all of those expenses in place before you start, and, and that will determine your true cash flow and your numbers. So a lot of people just do this wrong. The other part that a lot of people make a lot of mistakes in is they like the property. They're very emotional to the property. It's a nice property. It's a pretty property. It's got nice colors, and they try to force the numbers to work because you really want the property. Now, the important thing is when you're going to, this can be a very costly mistake when you say, look at the property and you say, oh, you know what, maybe the market rents are, you know, maybe I can get an extra $100 or $200 a month because this property is a lot nicer. Well, the market rents is what the market rents are. So the important thing is confirm what your rents are. And here's a little bit of advice, and, and I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware of this website, but it's a fantastic website when you're looking at comparing rents. And the, company, and the, the company's name is PadMapper, so P-A-D-Mapper.com. Um, and it really can show you comparables anywhere across the country in regards to rental properties. And, and it's something we kind of felt that, that, we, that we came across about a year ago, and we've used it quite extensively. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Uh, again, PadMapper. Uh, the second piece is really understand what the taxes are. Um, when you're looking at buying a property, what a lot of realtors do is they'll usually, usually use last year's numbers, but in some cases they'll go as far back as two years ago. So always ask for the current taxes to make sure you're calculating the appropriate number. Uh, last but not least, always calculate insurance. Just because somebody's quoted an insurance rate based on in their pro forma, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the accurate insurance. So you always get an insurance cost from an insurance company to confirm what the insurance fees are going to be for that because it is quite a large expense in the overall scheme of things. Second, one of the other biggest mistakes I see a lot of people do is they don't budget a healthy reserve fund. And in most cases, they have no reserve funds. Um, and the reason for that is they just try to make the numbers work. At a minimum, you should always be budgeting a vacancy allowance and a repair and maintenance allowance. So how do you calculate a vacancy allowance? What you want to do is go to your market that you're interested in and find out what the average vacancies are. If the vacancy rate is roughly 7%, then I would probably budget at least 7% in my numbers as a reserve allowance for vacancy. Repair and maintenance allowance, you probably want to be budgeting somewhere in that 7 to 8% as well just to be played the worst case scenario. So you're always accruing those funds every single month. You're taking that off the top of the rent and putting that in your account just as some, a place to keep it in safety for an emergency. Okay? The other thing that I like to do and our company does quite regularly that I don't see a lot of people do is try to keep some reserves for rental income. 
So in a situation where a property is going to become vacant, and trust me, if you own real estate, you will have a vacancy. In some cases, you may have it for two months, three months, four months. My recommendation is have at least, at very, very least, three months worth of rental income sitting in an account at any given time and not to touch it. That will help provide a little bit of a safety net for yourself and don't use your reserve funds to, to purchase other properties. This is your safety net just in case situations happen because guess what? Things will eventually happen. It's just a matter of time and it's better to be over prepared than under prepared. Also for renovations, when you're going through a property, if you see that the hot water tank, the furnace or the roof or the windows are needing to be replaced, build those into your numbers. So try to come up with a number to confirm what those costs are going to be. Um, it goes to my next point. You know, you know, when you're looking at those renovations or the repairs, don't go with a guesstimate. Make sure you get some proper quotes on what, what those costs are going to be. So then you can truly build those numbers into your analysis. And from that point, you can ask yourself, is this a good deal or not? Because if you're needing to put an extra $50,000 to buy a townhouse, I'd really question if that's a really good deal or not. Um, and maybe, the, maybe it's best for you to move on and look at something else. But that, these are some of the key ways that you want to be calculating your numbers. So number one, make sure when you're calculating your cash flow, get your rent minus all of your expenses. Very, very important. Confirm your rents. Great website, PadMapper, Kijiji, Craigslist, RentBoard. Those are just to mention a few of them. Um, but make sure that your rents are comparable. And if I were a lot of you, I would go with more of the medium side of, size of the rent. So when I say that, if rents are ranging between $1,300 to $1,400 a month, go at $1,350 just to play the safe bet. And you've got to be honest with yourself in the condition of your property. If it's in the lower end, then put it in the lower end. And, th and that's a really important thing when you're analyzing properties. Okay, so next, don't be a cheap bugger. I always, uh, and I catch myself doing this all the time still to this day. Uh, and for many of you that may have negotiated uh, purchases in the past, uh, you, I, would, I would say you've all been guilty of this, including myself. So uh, don't lose a good deal to save a thousand bucks. You know, keep your pride completely out of this. And, and I can see it happening because when you're in the middle of negotiations with people, um, you know, and you're just down to the skinny strokes of the negotiation, your 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 adrenaline's pumping, and you're getting excited, and and, and that, the feeling is, you know, I'm going to get this guy for the last last 50 bucks. Um, and really, this is the wrong way of looking at this thing. You know, a thousand dollars. If if a thousand dollars is going to break your deal, the reality is it wasn't a good deal to begin with. So the important thing is, don't lose focus. If this is a great property, don't let a thousand dollars get in the way. And uh, trust me, I've lost so many deals uh, because I've gotten emotional in it and, and I was a cheap bugger. And uh, the reality is I lost quite a bit of, quite a bit of money just in, in some really, really good deals by making this mistake. And, and you know, from time to time, you just got to slap yourself in the face and say, you know what, I'm just not going to let that happen again. Now, when you're negotiating these deals, you know, understand clearly what is your walkaway number. And the important part is stick with it, okay? A thousand bucks is not going to make or break your deal, but if, if you have a specific number that you're achieving in cash flow, determine what that is. And if that number, uh, if your negotiated number exceeds that number, then it is time for you to walk away and move on. And at least you've made that decision uh, in the right way versus thinking, well, I can get an extra thousand dollars out of this deal. Well, a thousand bucks 
in, in a mortgage, we're talking maybe one or two dollars at the most. It's, it's not really going to break the bank. And if it is, then this was a really bad deal. Okay? When you're negotiating some of these deals, instead of negotiating at a price, let them keep the thousand bucks, but maybe there's some other terms that you can maybe add. Uh, what about possession date? Maybe you can work a possession date that's better for you. Uh, have them complete some of the repairs or upgrades. So we'll say, okay, you keep the thousand bucks, but then I want you to replace the hot water tank or the furnace or something of that nature. Um, so maybe negotiate some other different types of terms. Or, you know, somebody says, well, listen, um, you're negotiating this and you say, well, listen, if I'm going to get $5,000 savings on this deal, if you give me the $5,000, well, I'll give you a special deal. Why don't, if you can't find a property um, after you sell this one, I'll let you rent this same property from me um, and you can rent it for as long as you possibly need. Believe it or not, a lot of investors don't think about this, that your prospective sellers may not find a property right away to move into and they get stuck. Well, why not put that as a part of a condition or on an offering to them and say, listen, you have the ability to rent our property in case you are not able to find one. And we do this for every single deal. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the properties that I bought, um, I think it's probably about seven years ago, um, from a seller, um, he was having a hard time selling his property. So we let him rent the property for as long as he needs. Seven years ago, he is still my tenant today. And uh, you know, he got himself in some financial distress or whatever, but he is still a tenant today, and he's been a fantastic tenant. So think about that when you're negotiating this, and, and look at other things. If you're really stuck at that $1,000, look at other options that are going to be able to help you overcome that, that objection. So you want to try to make it a win-win for all parties so nobody's feeling like they're losing out. And you'll be surprised. Sometimes these individuals may have other properties that they'd be willing to sell you as well. So don't be a cheap bugger. Next. Not doing your research, and this one really is near and dear to my heart, and for a lot of the training programs that I teach and, and for a lot of the students that, that I bring this to, and, and I presented on this quite a bit too, uh, in fact, it's on Canada REIC as well. It's on due diligence, um, and if, for people that are really wanting to learn more about this, I encourage you to go take a listen to that, um, but it's really understanding your area that you're investing in. A lot of junior investors and people that are just getting started they tend to invest in their backyard because that's absolutely all they know. They know the area that they've lived in for all their lives, um, but you know they don't know anywhere else. So they invest there just because they know it's relatively close to home. Well, that could be one of some of the biggest mistakes that you could make because the reality is your backyard may not be a really good place to invest in. It may be a great place to live, but it may not be a good place to invest in because there's no cash flow, there's no equity gain in this prop in these types of properties. So Always think big picture. So the important thing is do your research first. Um, another thing that I always tend to hear is, you know, people buy based on someone else's opinion. Uh, their uncle that lives in Tuktoyaktuk says, well, Tuktoyaktuk's the next best place to be investing in, but there's no basis, there's no fact or nothing behind it. And people then go up to Tuktoyaktuk to go buy just because their uncle said so. You know, don't base it on other people's opinions. Uh, you know, I'm telling people that I invest in Calgary and Edmonton. That doesn't necessarily mean Calgary and Edmonton is the right decision for you. Do your research and, and determine where some of the good places for you to invest based on your specific goals and criteria. Um, the other thing is not checking your agent's numbers. Uh, and I kind of highlighted it earlier in regards to finding a good quality investor agent. Well, a really good quality investor agent, in some cases, actually builds the cash flow analysis for you. 
And it's a great tool. It's wonderful. It, it, and most of them are really, really good at it. But the reality is you can't depend on what they're telling you because they're realtors. And realtors are there to sell homes. They may not necessarily know 100% what the rents are out there. That's your responsibility and your job. So it's a great tool for, to use as a template, but you want to make sure you understand where they got those numbers from and double check to make sure the accuracy to those numbers. So always check your agent's numbers. And the other thing that I always tend to find too is getting caught up on price or cash flow. So there's really good prices down in Las Vegas. I can buy a townhouse in, in Las Vegas for $20,000 and it's a beautiful home and I can generate an extra $700 a month cash flow. Now this isn't a knock in, in Las Vegas, uh, but the reality is you've got to also take a look at the big picture of what's kind of happening in those specific areas. What's happening with the economy? Is there a lot of jobs that are being, uh, uh, is there a lot of jobs there? What type of unemployment are we seeing? Um, what's the vacancy rate in those types of areas? You know, it's understanding the true foundation of what's happening in that area and understanding that first before you start to buy. Now, yes, in a perfect picture, it may look really good. That property may be $20,000. That's wonderful. It may generate cash flow of $500 a month if the property was rented 100% of the time. But if you're seeing 75% vacancy there, guess what? it may not be as good of a deal as you initially thought because the vacancy is so high. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see over and over and over again is they get caught up with these big huge numbers or these really really cheap prices and they've just really not done a lot of fact finding to understand what's driving real estate prices and the market in the specific area they're interested in. So always take some time to do some research first. Okay. So again, just referencing, before looking at any properties, understand the markets nationally first. So where are some of the areas in Canada or the United States or wherever, where are some of the top markets to be focusing your energy on? And then by determining that specific province, that specific city, then you start to narrow it down in regards to what towns you may be interested in. So what's re real estate, what stage of the real estate market are they in? So what stage of the cycle are they in? Um, so is it a seller's market? Is it a buyer's market? Is it a balanced market? Are jobs being created? Is the economy strong? You want to be the expert in that specific area. You want to know this area that you're investing in more better than your own specific hometown. So take the time to do your research. Another issue that I always tend to see is, as a common trend, and, and I was one of these as well just when I first got started, um, is investing in negative cash flowing properties. Um, you know, the, the common theme, and, and you're seeing a lot of this stuff specifically in Vancouver, because in Vancouver, finding cash flow is extremely difficult, really, really difficult. So you, you hear the comment, you know, this property is only going to cost me $100 per month, which is not very much. That's once or twice going out for dinner. Um, and so instead of going out for dinner a couple times, I'll, uh, I'll just stay at home and eat some dinner. Now, I can't enforce this one enough. Never ever, ever buy negative cash flowing properties, period. Never. In this business, real estate, you, you're running a business. So imagine if some friend of yours came up to you and said, hey, I've got this great coffee shop that I'm looking for some investors in. Uh, I'm losing $500 a month and have been for the last six years. What do you think? Would you be interested in investing in that? The answer is probably going to be no. And why would you do the same thing with a real estate property? You would never want to invest in negative cash flow, period. You know, if your goal is to create a passive income stream for yourself um, and so you don't have to work as hard, 
then that's the goal that you need to be accomplishing. If you're investing in negative cash flowing properties, that, need, that means you need to generate more income to support those properties. So that means you're actually working harder by investing in negative cash flowing properties instead of the properties trying to provide you with a little bit more flexible lifestyle. We always call these alligators uh, because eventually the more negative cash flowing properties, they start to become an alligator into your pocketbook and, and become a little bit of a nightmare. So just remember that when you have this in mind. So. Another one that I always tend to see, and this is a, a main issue that we tend to see with property managers and, and property managers and, and self-managed properties. The assumption that, you know, the reality is people get really excited that they just want to fill the property in with a tenant and get rent in there right away. So they don't tend to do their due diligence, due diligence on these people. And believe it or not, this does happen to property managers as well. So there's a little caveat here. I want you guys to make sure that you are also uh, managing your property managers well also. So go in and I encourage you to see your tenants at the very, very least or your investment property at the very least every six months. Get into that property just to double check that everything's okay and that your property manager is doing a good job. Um, you know, a little lesson that I've learned, and again, this is goes, goes back to the very, very beginning. I hired a property manager who I thought was exceptionally well. And uh, the policy that I have is, is, is going into the property every six months myself, and I expect that the property manager gets into the property every six months as well. So we're into the property every three months, no matter how many properties we're owning. So we always get to see what's going on. Um, but uh, one time I did go out with, a property, with this property manager a long time ago and uh, knocked on the door. So the tenant answered the door, and I knew I had an issue right at the very beginning because I've owned this property for a year and a half and the property manager introduced himself for the very first time. So in a year and a half, this property manager has never met this tenant before. So right away, I'm like, something's not right. And I'm not sure if many of you guys have seen the, the TV show Hoarders, but when I walked through that door, it was a perfect image of what that was, and it was an absolute gut-wrenching feeling. Um, so as I tried to maneuver my way around through this, this small little townhouse, it was just, just a disaster. Um, I walked down the stairs and there's a puppy mill uh, also being run downstairs in, in the basement. Now, um, you know, to my, to my dismay, I was just absolutely horrified. And pretty much uh, as soon as I walked out the door of that, uh, that property, I fired the property manager at that very second and, and brought, brought some new people in and also gave the tenant eviction right, pretty much right then and there as well. So the reality is it's your job to make sure your property manager is doing, doing his job. And it's even more importantly to be screening your tenants continuously. So, you know, the reality is don't worry if your property is going to be vacant for one month because if you take a look at the picture that's on the screen right now, that's minimal compared to the damage that they can cause if you've got yourself a really, really bad tenant. You know, the screening process is there for a reason. So some of the things you want to be doing is absolutely getting some reference checks from previous landlords, current employers, um, you know, some financial references, which means, which means credit check, get a criminal check done. Um, get all these get all these processes done for the cost of all the screening it's maybe going to cost you fifty dollars at the very very most but you'll feel so much more confident that you've got the right people in and if you don't and if you have tenants that are not qualifying don't worry leave it vacant until you find the right person it'll make your life so much easier for you uh, for those people that are interested in doing their own property manager own property management 
here's a little bit of a good tip. As you're going through the process of showing them the property um, and you've screened them or going through the property, getting them to fill the application, all that stuff, walk them out to their car and have a peek in the inside of their car. If you're seeing an absolute disaster in, inside their car and this is something that they own themselves, that they paid good money for, just imagine what your property is going to be looking like in about six months from now. The way they treat their car, the way they treat their vehicle is really a reflection of how your home is going to be treated and I've learned this as well. So a little bit of a tip for yourself for those people who are looking to self-manage some of their properties. Tip number 10, having no exit strategy. And the reality is a lot of people, they always have kind of, they may have a game plan or a vision, but when it comes to exiting, they, they tend to lose a little bit of focus because they don't know necessarily how to do this. So, you know, for a lot of investors, they may assume that investing is, is a one to two year strategy and it really shouldn't be. You know, real estate investing is a long term strategy, especially in the strategy of buy and hold. You know, at least commit yourself to a minimum of five years because in one to two years, it's really difficult to, to make your money work for you in such a very short period of time. Uh, but in that three to five year range, specifically if you can get it to five years, that's where your opportunity is going to be. And you know, in one to two years or even five years from now, don't expect that if you own one property that you're going to be a millionaire. That's not realistic. But it can generate a nice strong passive income. And secondly, you're producing a nice good equity stake with mortgage pay down from your tenants. Um, and it can be a great investment tool for yourself. So always consider it as a long-term strategy. So by understanding what your goals and your ambitions are and really understanding what your time frame is going to be, that's really going to determine the types of properties that you're buying, how long you want to hold them for, how much rental income that you're wanting to get out of it, um, and this way it will start to provide you with some guidelines. So at the end of the day, how much money do you need in this property before you get out? So if the property appreciates, hypothetically speaking, 5% per year, 5% per year for five years, and it's 25% appreciation, is that your magic number? If that's not, then maybe it's going to take you a little bit longer. So really understand how what, what your game plan is. If that 25% happens in two years, are you willing to get out at that point in time? So really determine what your exit strategy is. Secondly, always have a backup exit strategy in case your plan doesn't work. So for example, we've just kind of come, we're, we're going still through this one of the worst recessions in history. And it's a lot of markets, we have not seen a lot of appreciation. So we've seen markets stay relatively flat. Well, for some people, they may be wanting to retire relatively soon and we're hoping to get some of that money back. Well, maybe a backup strategy would be doing a rent to own for a one or two year extension and maybe getting out in that specific way. So always looking at some different options to help get yourself out as an exit strategy and that really starts from the very beginning as part of your planning process. And in a situation where you're looking at possibly selling the property, just don't get greedy. Remember, you've already made a pretty good return on your investment. The important part is, you know what, if, you, if, it, if they've given you a really good offer, the same policy is don't be a cheap bugger. Don't worry about that extra $1,000. If, if we're really kind of down to that crunch and, and the negotiations are getting really close and there's only $1,000, leave a little bit of money on the table for some other investor. And, uh, and trust me, maybe they'll be buying some of the other properties as well. So always have yourself a pretty good exit strategy. So some of the ways to reduce your uh, mistake frequency. Number one, network with other people and ask the question, what mistakes have you made? Here's a wonderful forum with Canada REIC. Um, 
where you can ask other investors this specific question and learn from some of their mistakes as well. Um, here I am sharing, you, sharing some of the mistakes I've made, uh, some of the mistakes that other investors have made just from, from the history that I've been doing. And it's, it's really good because these are lessons that you guys can also learn and help avoid some costly mistakes for yourself. Um, secondly, share your experiences with others. So if you are actually making mistakes yourself, share that with other people. You know, it's about give and take and helping support us as an investor community uh, to become successful because, you know, at the end of it, everybody wants to be successful in this real estate investment business. Spend some time doing your homework, and, and this is so key. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is required in real estate investing. Part of it is doing your research. Part of it is making sure that, ensuring that your calculations are right as part of your cash flow analysis. So take your some time and doing some, doing, do a lot of your homework. Don't, they, don't do this by the uh, seat of your pants. Take some time and do a lot of research. Very, very important. Educate yourself. Get yourself a mentor, a joint venture partner, an individual that's able to support you and help you learn. Don't do this yourself. Unfortunately, books are not going to just be able to help you. Sometimes getting your hands held through the process is going to be a lot easier for you. There's some wonderful books out there that provide a lot of great lessons. I'm not discouraging uh, reading a lot of investment, tons of it, but there's nothing better than really getting some good training and get some good education and using real live examples to help support you in your journey. Last but not least, just take action. You know, the, the reality is it, it's really going to reflect right from the very, very beginning. Mistakes are going to happen in this business and you have to accept that that's going to be the case. The important part is take those lessons, take those mistakes, learn from them and continue to proceed forward and do not let fear hold you back. Always envision your goals and, and your vision and where you want to achieve yourself five years from now and, and just stay focused. So at the end of the day, the real focus here is looking and avoiding a lot of the mistakes that other people have made. Learn from those things and continue your path to financial success through the, to the game called real estate investing. Again, like to leave it always with the quote, uh, the greatest mistake you can make in life is to be continually fearing you will make one. So with that, I just want to thank you guys for coming in and, and taking a listen and, um, and really appreciate you guys all uh, listening and I'm, I am available for questions. And for people that uh, are wanting to contact me or if they've got some issues or some concerns of some mistakes, um, this is part of what, what my commitment was with Canada RAIC as well as to be, a, to be supportive. Uh, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. So here's my phone number and my email and, and please visit us on our website and, uh, and social media sites as well. So thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Wow. So remember, never, ever, ever, ever buy negative cash flowing properties, right? <laughs> never. Never. Wow. I have seen so many people, more likely, uh, let's say people which they were under influence of buying second or third property, and they were just speculating on appreciation. Go figure. Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the lesson to learn. Anyway, if there is anybody has a question, please don't hesitate. I know everybody is speechless at this moment, but by all means, <laughs> by all means, there is a time to, to ask the questions, guys. Mr. Sean, hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, hey, Sean. One question, um, point number seven, you were not doing your research. Yep. Uh, where do you find the best resources to 
do your research. Uh, uh-huh. To several different city websites and that kind of stuff, and the information is five years old. Yep, so, for sure. So where do you go, and especially with the change in the market over the last five years, mm-hmm. find to, uh, the best research places are? Sure, absolutely. And that's a really, really good question. And there's a ton of sources to go to. Um, and I'm going to kind of refer you back, Sean. I, I encourage all of you guys to go to uh, a webinar that I did for due diligence. And it was a presentation very similar to this, all on research. And in there, there's a bunch of sources uh, that I've referenced there, um, but just some that are just kind of off the top of my head. Every city has some very unique information and sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to find out um, but the first few that I would definitely recommend go to RBC okay R- and make sure you register for some of their information so they do kind of a regular um, update on some interesting things so for example um, unemployment rates vacancy rates uh, house prices what's happening there TD Bank also has a, uh, their own market research as well Statistics Canada now, when you're going online, um, you're right. That information is really, really old. But if you subscribe to their daily, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like their daily update. They do send an email every single day about the most recent statistical information. About 70% of it is not pertaining to real estate, at least 70%. But the rest of it, that 80, that 20%, it does. So, for example, it does reference even just recently the announcement in regards to population growth. That is a huge, huge piece that people need to be paying very close attention to. Uh, where are some of the major cities uh, of, of population growth? So, when you're looking at population growth, people are moving into a specific city, uh, Pacific province, and they're setting up headquarters. So, they are either renters or they are home buyers. But for the investor, that is wonderful news. Now. If, if the population is growing. If the population is going in reverse, not so good news. Now, for some of the smaller communities, here's a little suggestion that I always like to use, and they're very, most, most of the time they're very open to, is talk to your economic development officer within that specific city. Uh, pick up the phone, set up a meeting with them, um, and have a really good chat. They can tell you all sorts of wonderful information that's happening within the city and the types of anticipated growth. They'll tell you a lot about some of the developments that are happening, some of the different projects that are going on. It also kind of determines what, what they've got planned for population growth. And they can also provide you with some statistics as well. And for some of the smaller cities, the market research may not be available online, but those are when you start to make contact with the right people uh, within that specific city to help support you. I hope that answers your question, Sean. Absolutely, it does. Thank you. Okay, but again, I encourage you um, for more on this topic specifically, and it's a really important one. Go to go to the go to the Canada REIC um, education. Is it, Eric? Uh, where would that be in the education side section? Canada REIC TV. TV. So it's in there. So I encourage you guys to take a look at that. It it, uh, it really provides a lot of information there, and I've got some other different uh, locations for statistical information as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Sean, you are muted. And let's find Mr. Shane. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions, the best way is to raise the hand so I can find you quickly. 
because I'm trying to find Mr. Shane. Where are you? Okay. Mr. Hello? Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, so my question, you say uh, don't invest <coughs> in cash flow negative uh, properties, which of course makes perfect sense, um, but uh, where do you find those? I mean, what techniques do you have for finding cash flow positive properties? I'm in a major, I'm in Toronto, so it's a, it's a major center, and you would mm -hmm. think, and there's, there's a lot of influx of folks who need housing. Nonetheless, the, the recent financial downturn has caused rents to stay low, but now housing prices have taken off. Like Toronto That's never right. really went through a big crash. So balancing income against the expense of the properties is very delicate in this particular market. Absolutely. It's really, really tough out there. And, and, and to be honest with you, it, we're seeing the same thing in Vancouver, if not worse than what you're seeing in GTA. So uh, the reality is, and this, this is a real tough one for a lot of people to absorb, and it kind of goes right back to what I talked about before, is not necessarily investing in your backyard because it's not the best place to invest. It really goes back, you just need to start to look somewhere else. And look for different other places like Barrie, Ontario, and a few other locations, maybe in the outskirts of the GTA, and start to spend some time there. There are some areas that are out, that air, out there that do generate some, if not a little bit of cash flow, uh, but it is going to be really, really challenging out there. I think you'll start to see some things change in the next year, but the reality is the cash flow is not going to be as significant as you possibly hope. Uh, but my recommendation is if you if you're, have your heart set in Ontario, take a look at some of the outskirt areas, uh, Hamilton, Barrie, Ontario, um, just a few to mention. Uh, I'm not a really big fan of Windsor. I know there's cash flow there, uh, but those are the two areas that I'll be putting some attention to. But it may not be to the same level that you've been seeing somewhere else, like Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary, where there's some pretty good strong cash flows out there. Um, the other area that uh, even our company is putting a little bit of attention to, we haven't started investing, but we're just looking at some of the research right now, is even Halifax as well. So with that big contract that they've been awarded in, in regards to military ships, uh, we're definitely seeing a, a significant uh, boom a little bit that's occurring there as well. So the, I guess to really, excuse me, focus on your question again is look at the economies, look at what's kind of happening in a specific area. But the reality is if you're, you, if you're looking to invest from a cash flow perspective and your area is not, in, is not generating cash flow, you need to find a different area that is going to be investing it, that does have cash flow. There are a lot of markets across the country that do generate cash flow. You just need to do some research on it and try to find out where those locations are. And part of that is just talking to other investors. This is a great, great opportunity where you start to ask questions and say, well, where are some of those places? Talk to other investors and try to uncover where they find it. And part of it is going right back to some research as well. If you're seeing areas with a lot of economic growth, a lot of unemployment, people moving in, those are the first steps before you, those are the first places you want to be putting some attention to, okay? So you say, okay, well, listen, um, Calgary. Calgary right now has got one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. It also had the highest population growth. It has got, um, you know, the lowest taxation. It's got an extremely low vacancy rate. Well, that area seems to be a, a relatively strong, has a relatively strong foundation. Let's take a look and see what types of rents and what the cost of properties are. And you may be surprised and say, hey, these properties cash flow, maybe this is an area I want to be putting some attention on. So it does take a little bit of digging on your part, 
but the reality is if you really are serious about generating a passive income, you're going to have to go out there and start to do a little bit of digging. And it really starts by going back and looking at some of the research that's coming out, in the, out from Stats Canada, RBC. Uh, read a lot of the local papers, the National Post, the Globe and Mail. You know, read about the business sections. Look at where job growths are actually occurring and look at where some of the things are happening. And look at the statistics, not necessarily the, um, the editor's opinion. So you want to be looking at the actual numbers that are saying these are really good markets to be looking at. And then start working your way in. I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much, it does. Good. Then you are muted now. Okay. Uh, Mr. Aldrich. Aldrich. Michael, how are you, Eric? Hi, how are you? Hello, Michael. I'm well, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It was a really great presentation. Thank you very much. It was You're welcome. Thank you. Great. Second, second time actually I heard you, and it, it was it was again great. And it was one of those things that kind of like, please keep repeating it, so I don't do the same mistakes over. <laughs> um, Good. <laughs> we are very fortunate here in Calgary because uh, there is plenty. Like as as you said, there is a fairly strong market uh, right now, and there is plenty of uh, positive. I, the question what I have, um, how do you see the outlook for Calgary? I understand that nobody's got the, uh, that crystal ball. clear uh, ball, you know, exactly, you, know, you can read a feature, but I strongly believe that the pipeline will be signed next year, yep. if, not, if not this year. Mm -hmm. And my personal prediction, I actually see that once the pipeline is signed, that we might not see actually necessarily the boom as in 2004, but I definitely feel that uh, the population on the west side here, especially around, uh, especially here in Alberta, will increase, and that will obviously probably fix a little bit the uh, rent prices and, of course, the prices of the house. What is your opinion, and how do you see that? Okay, so um, just to let everybody know, this is my opinion, um, and I'm very, very bullish in Calgary, and, I, and I'm not bullish on it because I live there. I'm bullish in it. I live in BC, and I and I do a lot of investing in the Alberta marketplace, and I do like Calgary, and I do like Edmonton, and a lot of that's going to maybe some of the comments that Aldrich said as well. Now, my opinion is I'm not really too worried about Trans Canada Pipeline or the Enbridge Pipeline out to uh, to BC, but the reality is at some point in time I have a feeling. You know, Harper is definitely going to be pushing this along, and he's very, very aggressive in making this happen with the relationships uh, in China and India as well. Um, but you know what? The yeah. jobs are being created regardless of those pipelines. Uh, we're seeing some huge, huge product projects that are being that are going on right now, even without those projects occurring. Um, some of the things that I'm seeing in the marketplace, um, even with high unemployment in the states, we're actually seeing a lot of Americans starting to come up and even renting a lot of the properties that we own to work in some of the oil sand projects. So we're seeing labor shortages occur even now. Um, so this is my feel in the Alberta marketplace. Um, I, I think this year it's probably going to see a little bit of growth in um, the tail end of 2012, so some appreciation. Uh, Calgary is a lot probably be a little bit more bullish than Edmonton at, for, for this year. And then I think, excuse me, 2013 is really where we're going to see a lot of growth. 
But my anticipation is we're not going to go back to those boom days. And again, I'm not sure how long you've lived in, in Calgary for Alders, but you know, I've been investing there for probably about uh, eight to ten years now. And, uh, and I was there for the initial boom. I just don't think it's going to be to the same level as they once were, but I think the growth is going to be pretty consistent. And um, I think you'll be probably seeing, seeing roughly between 5 to 6%. Again, this is just my own gut feel and my appeal, or my, my opinion, but I think you'll be seeing about 5 to 6% appreciation for a few years for sure. Um, and just so everybody knows, Calgary and Edmonton, even though Toronto and Vancouver has had a lot of appreciation over the last couple of years, Alberta has stayed relatively flat. It hasn't had the same type of appreciated growth as a lot of the other markets, including in the province of Saskatchewan. So Alberta has always been staying relatively flat. But a lot of the things that we're seeing right now is a lot of population growth, a, lot, a very low unemployment, uh, vacancy rates, you know, I'm even looking at right now in a chart just in front of me, we were looking at just around 7% back in September. And right now we're in February and I'm looking at about 1.67% for our company in vacancy rates. Um, and, and I own quite a few properties out there. So we're seeing a major, major shift of people starting to move in. And it's quite interesting to see the types of people that are moving in. So we're starting to see immigration from BC. We're seeing immigration from uh, the US and even from back east as well, but not to the same level. Uh, but I, I, my prediction is that I think 2013 is going to be the year for Alberta. So my opinion, again. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Mr. Mike Leish, are you you're online now? Thank you. Um, I just wanted to let, I believe it was Shane um, that was asking about the Toronto market. Um, mm -hmm. Look at Ajax, look at Oshawa, look at Pickering. Um, it's mm -hmm. just inside the GTA. And I was actually at a investor meeting out there last night, and they have got a lot of out that way. They got, I'm sorry, what was it? A lot of? Opportunity. Good, good, good. The, the, it still really goes back to the point, and again, I'm not uh, an expert in the Ontario market. I, I don't really spend too much time out there as well. Um, and, and, the, and the reality is, it really goes back to the comments that I mentioned earlier is you really are looking for job growth, unemployment, low unemployment rate, you know, look for the opportunities that are showing some strong growth, GDP growth, so really uh, gross domestic product, just good economic growth and you want to be seeing that at least exceed that 3% in a specific area if you can. And if you're seeing those fundamental factors starting to occur within that city, then that could be a good opportunity for you especially if you're seeing a lot of people starting to move within the city. So the important part is, you know, don't listen to my opinion. You know, I'm, I invest in Calgary and Edmonton, but that doesn't necessarily mean all of you guys have to go invest in Calgary and Edmonton. The, the reality is do your own research and determine if that's the right investment place for you. And, and uh, you know, maybe it is Pickering, maybe it is Oshawa, maybe it is Hamilton, uh, maybe it is Barrie, but again, go down and really take a look at some of the true fundamentals that are happening within that specific area before you start to put your money into it. Um, and another great resource is talk to people that are, that are even within this network here and see if, they, you know, if you're interested in investing in Ontario, ask them where are some of the areas that you're interested in and do your own research to confirm. So, so thanks for sharing that. Appreciate that. Okay. 
Any further questions? Okay, so guys, 30, 30 seconds window, like usual. So, Mr. Michael, would you mind just telling what, what, anything, whatever you've been doing recently, and if you have any final thoughts? Yeah, um, no, for us, we've just been keeping really busy ourselves. You know, we're in the business, you know, we're looking for properties as well. Um, I think what we're seeing right now is markets are still a little bit tight. They're, the inventory is just not necessarily what we would normally like to see. Uh, we're hoping to open up some more inventory in the next little bit. But I, I'm expecting a spring to be really, really, really good, um, especially Western Canada and actually Eastern Canada as well. Um, some of the things we're also looking at, like I mentioned earlier, Halifax is starting to be kind of an, an area of interest as as well. Um, so it's starting to look pretty good. So the other thing we've also launched as well for anybody that might be interested is we are uh, officially launching our, our coaching program as well. So for, you, for people that are interested in wanting to learn more about real estate investing or wanting to look at how to find joint venture money or moving into commercial properties and stuff, um, yeah, this is a program that's really designed for a one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, so if anybody's interested in taking a look at it, just shoot me off an email. I'd be more than happy to give you some further details. Um, oh, in addition as well, if people want copies of this presentation, you know, it's going to be online, obviously live, but if you guys want copies of this presentation for yourself, uh, just shoot me off a quick email or just visit our website and just log on and I'll give you copies of this presentation and some of the previous presentations we've done just by logging on and just subscribing to our our uh, online uh, blog posts and, uh, and then what we can do is just get you all that information to you guys automatically. So anyway, that's it. Sounds good, and yeah. we got a question, right? One more right. question, Yarek. So, Aldrich, uh, um, you're online. Um, Michael, I Michael, I just have one more quick question. Are you uh, are you investing with other investors? Like, do you uh, are you doing joint ventures, or uh, where where are you with this place? Like, do you take uh, do you take other investors into the deals? Absolutely, yeah. So that's our business model really is um, we go out and find properties and, and from that point we do find joint venture partners that are interested in participating within our projects. Um, so for us, you know, um, for people that have never done this before, we literally kind of do hold your hand through the whole process. So, you know, if you're wanting to set up your line of credit, um, if you've got RSP money that's not necessarily working out really well for you and you're looking at, looking at some deals uh, that would hopefully get you a better return on your investment, um, absolutely, we're more than happy to chat with you. And, and the first step that we always do, we, we really do no hard selling whatsoever. Um, we really just truly understand what, what your investment goals are. And then from that point, um, you know, we'll see if it's a fit. If it's a fit, great, we'd be more than happy to chat with you. And then, then we start to look at projects. And, and, you know, if maybe this specific project doesn't fit your criteria, then we'll wait for another project that maybe fits a, a little bit better for you. But I'd be more than happy to review that with anybody if anybody's interested as well, so for sure. So all rich as well, just give me an email, awesome. shoot me Thank off an email, much. give me a call, okay? You're welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. Perfect. I love the questions. And there is no more questions, Mr. Mike. So thank you very okay. much for your participation. Uh, what we are going to do is we will we are recording. So within 24, 48 hours will be, yes, will be available online, Shane. Yes, will be available in the Canada REIC TV. And all the Canada REIC members, they can watch anytime when they would like to. That's the goal. That's our concept. And by all means, just wait a couple more minutes, hours, sorry, and it will be available. So thank you very much, Mr. Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys.
Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses, no more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.